This morning I've entitled the sermon, Remaining Faithful. That is where we're going to land. That is where we're going to finish our time in 1 Timothy chapter 6 this morning. And as, as I consider remaining faithful, it, it's appropriate for us to consider what is happening in Ukraine. As I started seminary at the Master Seminary, there was a, a teacher who had served the Lord as a missionary in Ukraine I believe for like 20 years or so, almost the same amount that we had spent time in Papua New Guinea. And, and he helped lead a, a seminary um, in Ukraine. And he was part of what is known as the Masters Academy International. So what the seminary that I went to at Masters has started seminaries all over the world. And oftentimes they're affiliated with a church, plugged into a church from a church. And... And in Ukraine, this now friend of mine talked again and again and again of the hunger for God's word that the Ukrainians had. Just a, almost like an insatiable hunger for more and more and more of God's word. And, and today there are some 900 missionary pastors that were sent out from that seminary that are now serving the Lord in Ukraine. And, and I, I wanted to, to temper a, a little bit of what um, we've already prayed for and talked about with Ukraine on the positive aspect of God's grace. That you, Ukraine is not what it was before. And it's because of the gospel. Because the gospel has gone forth. And it has changed them. And as you no doubt, if you haven't, pull up some YouTube videos of, of families worshiping in Ukraine. No, big groups. Women and children that are, that are kind of in bunkers that, that are hidden out in the subway system. And what you'll find is, is you'll find just, just the whole group singing praise to the Lord. And I've, I've received emails de depicting just the, the desire of those that are serving in, in pastoral ministry in Ukraine who want to remain faithful at all costs. And, and their heartbeat is what? Leave? Uh, abandon these people that Christ have, has died for? Christ's family? No, no, no. We're going to stay here, no, no matter what the cost is. And that has been such an encouragement to me. And it should be an encouragement to us all. And, and may I just add this in? Are, are we really surprised with where things are at today? You know, we shouldn't be, because Scripture lets us know that as things continue to progress to the time where Jesus comes back, there's going to be wars and rumors of war. That's what's going to happen. And yet we hold in our hands, as we will see this morning, the treasure of the glorious gospel. And so even now, is, is no doubt, th this is a terrible time. And, and our prayers should go out for the Ukrainians. Our prayers should go out for the Russians. But our prayers need to be soaked in the gospel recognizing that like no other time right now, th those in Ukraine are a testimony of God's grace. And it's not just those that are believers. The whole country's a testimony of a, of a united front, is it not? Of a country banding together against really evil. And even in that, is Putin beyond the grasp of God's grace to save him? No. So we need to be praying in, in, in that light as well. So I know we already prayed, but we, we can't pray too much. Plus, it'll calm my heart. 
and, and I'm not feeling 100%, and that's why I'm kind of hiding out today. Let, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we stop and we acknowledge that you are the God of, above all, that you are sovereign, that nothing takes you by surprise, and as difficult as it is to watch the footage, to hear the stories of, of bombs, of tanks, of everything that is happening in the Ukraine, Lord, we attest to your faithfulness, we attest to, to your goodness and your grace fully on display in the lives of so many Ukrainians, Lord. So we praise you for that testimony. We pray in particular for your church in Ukraine and the many, many churches represented, Lord. Not just those that are involved from the TMAI, the Masters Academy International, but, but all the churches there that are true churches that proclaim your gospel faithfully, Lord, that you would be with those bodies today. That you would allow them to to band closely to one another as your body this morning, to encourage, to challenge, to love on one another. Lord, we ask for your protection for them, for the women and the children, for those that, that have gathered guns, that are not trained in the military, but are willing. That you would go before them all, Lord. And that your gospel of peace would continue to, to reign supreme. We, we pray for all the churches that you would allow them to be a bold gospel witness for you during this trying time. And we thank you that we can trust you in this time and that we can uphold our brothers and sisters in Christ because of you, Lord Jesus, and what you have accomplished. And even though we don't speak the same language, we know that one day we will share all of eternity with one another. And we pray that you would cause more and more Ukrainians as well as Russians to come to a saving knowledge of yourself through what is going on right now. And it's in Jesus, the name above all names, that at some point in history or in future, everyone will stop and they will bow. And they will confess that you are Lord. And it's in your name that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. As Lord willing, unless Jesus comes back in the next 40, 45 minutes, takes us with him, which wouldn't be such a bad thing, I will, by God's grace, finish my, my, my second book since I've, I've come here, Tarantula Baptist Church, having finished the book of Acts. Now we are about to finish 1 Timothy. Sweet. And on top of all of that, as, as Shannon and I were talking yesterday, you know why one of the reasons I don't, I don't want Jesus to come back is because he's, he still has more work to do. Amen? But notice how, how Paul finishes his, his personal letter to Timothy. And remember that he has said, you, 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 throughout, throughout this epistle, throughout this letter, talking to Timothy personally. But now he's going to take it up a couple notches, and it's, it's emphatic in the Greek. It's just got exclamation marks behind it and in front of it as he says this, Oh, Timothy, oh, my son in the faith, oh, the one that I've served the Lord with, 
Oh, the one that I have entrusted so much to. My brother, my friend, my co-laborer, my fellow soldier. Oh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Lord, we want your grace to be with us. We want your grace to be evident. Teach us now through your word. Mold us, shape us. Renew our minds. Allow us to see what you want us to see in your word. Not what I want us to see, but what you want us to see, Lord. For we are here to hear from you this morning. So keep the distractions to a minimal that you might be glorified, that you might be lifted up. And that your glorious gospel would be seen this morning for what it is, a treasure of all treasures. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we saw last week, if you want to gain a good understanding of a book, a letter in God's word, what you can do is you can look at the first half, the first chapter really, or introduction of a book, and you can look at the last chapter. I wouldn't suggest this, but even in school, if you wanted to write a, a book report on a book, theoretically, and I, I believe this would work, you could just look at the first chapter, you could look at the last chapter, and, and you could come up with a pretty good one-and-a-half-page book report. Of course, you'd be lying and telling your teacher that you'd read the whole thing, so I, I wouldn't do that. But this is the way that, that, that we write. This is the way that Paul writes. This is the way that, that, that storytellers craft their stories and authors craft their, their trade. And so it shouldn't surprise us. That's what we see in 1 Timothy. That as Paul finishes, he actually starts the same way. What, what is he doing in, in, at the very end of Timothy? He is giving Timothy a charge, you know, a command. And that's exactly what we see in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verses 3 to 5. As Paul starts off his epistle, his letter to Timothy, what does he start off with? He starts off with a charge. Yes, the purpose is so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. 1 Timothy 3.15. But what is contained in that is this. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. That's what this is all about. As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus. Why? Because they need you. They need to be reminded what the true gospel is, the treasure that you have, Timothy. So that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. Why? Because what they are teaching is abusing the gospel. It is corroding the gospel. It is damaging the gospel. It is really, in essence, destroying the power of the gospel. Because it is not the gospel. It is not truth. It is not that which imparts eternal life. 
which give rise to mere speculations rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction, Timothy, is what? Love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, and you are not going to get those from false teaching. So what does he do? He starts off urging Timothy, giving him a charge. This is what I am tasking you to do. This is what the Lord is tasking you to do. Stay in Ephesus, fight the good fight, hold on to the truth, and proclaim the truth. And then he goes on in verses 18 to 20. As it's not just a charge that he's giving him, but it is a command. He's letting him know this is not optional. You must do this, Timothy. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme." So what does he tell him to do? He commands him, fight the good fight. Turn back with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. What is he speaking of? He's speaking of the gospel. That's what this is all about. That's really what this whole epistle has been about. Really the battle over the gospel. And what he's telling Timothy here is, guard the gospel, Timothy. Remain faithful in holding on to it. Don't water it down. Don't reshape it. Don't reinvent it. Don't compromise it. No, don't do any of those things, but guard it. Keep it pure. Why? So that it will be used by the Lord, so that it will contain its power. You transform it, you change it, you flip it upside down, it is no longer the power of God unto salvation. But he's also giving a warning, and we've seen this throughout the book. We saw it in chapter 1, we see it here in his closing. He speaks about false teaching quite a bit. But he's not doing it really to speak about false teaching. What he's speaking about is the gospel. That is what is being emphasized much more than the false teaching. Why? Because it is what the false teaching does to the gospel that is of utmost significance to Paul. Because what is this false teaching doing? It is ruining that which is supposed to remain pure. So in this, as he wraps up this whole letter, having just talked about riches, he now comes and shares something, reminds Timothy of something that he has been given that is much more valuable than riches of this world. Than the riches that any rich person in Ephesus could have amassed for themselves. And that is the glorious gospel. Don't think about that, Timothy. Think about this. Guard this. Keep it from being changed. Keep it from leaving you. 
keep it from being affected adversely, keep it from being diluted. Recognize, Timothy, this, that it has been given to you, not invented by you or by me. Recognize as well that you are not its author, you are its keeper. And finally, that you are not its leader, you are its follower. And he does all of this as a way to remind Timothy that he is to remain faithful just as he is now reminding us this morning that we are to remain faithful, just as we started off our time looking at the Ukrainian believers and how they are remaining faithful in an incredibly difficult time. And do you know what that reveals to us? That reveals just what kind of faith they have. Because it's under the fire that that gold is purified and you are able to see just how good that gold is, right? Well, it's exactly the same with our faith. So what we see this morning is this, three ways to be a faithful steward with the gospel. That is what Paul is giving to Timothy as he wraps up this letter. Guard the treasure, avoid false knowledge, and know where false claims lead. Not to a good place. So where does he start? He starts with guard the treasure. But again, look at how he starts. The the first two words in the Greek are this emphatic O, which is basically saying, listen, listen to this. And then what? Then Timothy's name, Timothy. Which is significant because of what Timothy's name literally means. It means one who honors God. So what he is doing is he's reminding everyone in Ephesus, as well as Timothy himself, hey, you are supposed to be one who honors God, and now I'm going to give you a way to honor God by being faithful with his gospel by being faithful with this treasure by guarding this treasure but rather than jumping right into unpacking what guard means and it is significant and i don't know that we fully grasp what it means to guard as far as the biblical concept that we see here in first timothy chapter six but i'm not going to start with guard because that isn't what the greek starts with the greek actually starts with this phrase been entrusted to you. What has been entrusted to you? That is what he's supposed to guard. So so before we think about guarding, we need to recognize what we've been entrusted with, what we are to guard. Because depending on what it is, you're not going to guard it as much. If you have an old clunker car and you park it at a parking lot with a whole bunch of cars, you don't really care if you've parked it next to this great big truck that when he opens the door, it's going to slam your door. But let's say you have a brand new Tesla. I'm going to assume that you're going to treat that car a little nicer and perhaps you're going to park it a little bit further away. It is very similar when we're thinking about the glorious gospel and what we have been entrusted with even though it's difficult to understand because it's this long phrase, what, we ha- what you have been entrusted with. In the Greek, that's just one word. And what that one word is, is deposit. Like what we do with money in a bank, deposit. It's what somebody is given to someone else. And what is Paul saying? He's saying, oh, Timothy, this deposit that has been entrusted to me by our God, I am now entrusting the same deposit to you. 
Don't lose sight of it. Recognize how valuable it is. And why do I use the word treasure? Because Paul does. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. And it's interesting, here in the same way, the first word is not the verb to guard, although that's what most translations use as they start this. It's because it's kind of clanky in English if, if you started out with actually what, it, what is said first, which is that word deposit, which here isn't translated as deposit. It's not translated as what has been entrusted to you. Do you see what it is translated as? It is translated as the treasure, at least in my Bible, the New American Standard. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, what? The treasure which has been entrusted to you. The treasure. Is that the way you view the gospel? I can tell you what, as you listen to the Ukrainians sing, that's the way they view the gospel. When your life is on the line, you recognize just how great God's grace is that he has freely bestowed upon us. Again, in the Greek, the, the word that comes first is the treasure. So this could have literally been translated, the treasure guard, exclamation mark. Don't let it go. And again, if you don't know how important how much something is worth when you're giving it to guard, you may not guard it so well. So we need to recognize that what he is talking about is something is of utmost significance, something that we should consider as a treasure. But what does this word guard mean? It means to protect by taking careful measure of something, being calculated in the way that you are guarding it. Where can we go to see this word? We actually go to a, a different spot that you don't think of this as guarding, but that's what this is speaking of. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And the shepherds in the field. And what we see here is that they actually are guarding the sheep. It's just not the way that we usually think of it. Especially as we read the scriptures in the way that they're translated. Luke chapter 2. Let me begin in verse 7 to give us a context to remind us again what this is. This is when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is born. And she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And look at this. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Guess which word is the verb translated guard in our first Timothy passage? Keeping watch. That is what they were to do. They were to what? Guard the sheep. That is what Paul is telling Timothy to do with the gospel. Why? Because just as there are ravaging wolves waiting to come after the sheep, there are ravaging wolves waiting to come after Christ's sheep. In his church, us, this morning. What we see here is guard is an active word. It's not a passive word. What kind of shepherd sits back, 
climbs up in his tree and just falls asleep all day long and doesn't worry about anything that's going on. Not a good shepherd, that's for sure. A shepherd is going to lose all of his sheep. In the same way, what kind of believer that has been given this glorious gospel, this treasure, just doesn't think about it? And that it might be being attacked, being changed. And that actually what, what, what you're now holding as you think is the gospel might not be the gospel at all. Recognize here as well that, that why is Paul saying this? Is Paul saying this because he's only concerned with the church in Ephesus? Is it because he's only concerned with a couple folks in Ephesus? No, he's concerned for really all of Christianity. And he's speaking to us today as well. Because we start to compromise on these things. And if we no longer hold the gospel and guard it, but we begin to distort it, by what? By making it culturally relevant. That the repercussions that happen from that don't just affect us here right now that are sitting in these chairs at Rancho Baptist Church, but it will affect our children, our children's children, and the churches all over the place. From what happens from here springs out and goes forth and affects other churches or really infects other churches. So what Paul is trying to do is he's, he's trying to pull everyone in at the church in Ephesus. But there's even more to this idea of guard what has been entrusted because it, it's not something that carries over to us in our culture as much. You see, for the Greeks in the first culture and for the, for the, for the Jews in that culture as well as going long before then, they understood what the idea was to be entrusted with something. And that is this, to entrust a commodity to a particular person who was to ensure its safe keeping. The person was to keep it for a time and at some point in the future return it to its owner. And so in this, what is understood is, is two very significant things. Two ideas are wrapped up in this idea of being entrusted with something. First is ownership, and that is it is not yours, it is not mine, it is his. That the gospel, this glorious gospel that has been given to us as a treasure is owned by someone else who desires that we would be what? Faithful with it. And that is the second. That wise stewardship is understood. Not only is it not yours, but he who gave it to you expects you to look after it. Not just look after it, but look after it well. To be a wise and faithful steward. protect it, to use it as it was intended, and to be trustworthy as to how you guard it, recognizing that it is above all a treasure, above all treasures. And that is really what Paul is leaving Timothy with. Hey, remember the gospel. Remember God's truth. And hold on to it, Timothy. Protect it as, you, as if you were a shepherd with sheep. And don't let this get away from you. So that's first where the Lord takes us through the Apostle Paul as he gives these final words to Timothy. 
guard the gospel. Make it your treasure, worth protecting and sharing it with others. That's the other side of, of this whole equation. When you, when you think of guarding something, what do you think of? Okay, maybe none of you grew up where I grew up, but, but I think of capture the flag. I loved that game as a, as a young man. There was nothing sweeter than having this long, good game of capture the flag. And the more that were involved, the better it was. And the faster the other team was, the better it was. And the more that you had to strategize, the better that it was. And there was no place better than to go to Hume Lake and do capture the flag at Hume. There'd be hundreds on each side, and you'd have to go forever. The only thing I hated about it is they hid the flags. Who does that? You have to know where the flag is, don't you? But in this, there's an, an aspect of capture the flag that's, that's you're, you're, you're not only protecting, but you're going after. And, and that is the same with the gospel. There is this idea that we are to guard it, but in guarding it, you also proclaim it. And that is what the Lord is teaching us first by guard that which has been entrusted to you. And then the flip side is what we have seen throughout Timothy already that we saw in the beginning, and and that is false teaching. What do we do with that? You must avoid false knowledge. Look at the second half of verse 20. After he says, guard what has been entrusted to you, then he explains what it is that we are to avoid. Avoid, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. What does avoid mean? It means to separate yourself from. It means to turn away from. Throughout the book of 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul uses the same word, but uses it in relationship to the false teachers. As kind of giving another lesson on, okay, this is what they did. I don't want you to do this, but I want you to learn from them as a lesson. And we see it in, in verse 6 of chapter 1. And there we, we see that it's translated as straying. Instead of avoiding, it's, it's translated as straying. What did they do? They didn't just avoid it. They actually strayed. They ran away from it. For some men straying from these things, what things? The instruction that leads to love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. No, they strayed from these things, having turned aside to fruitless discussions. We see the same in chapter 5. Speaking of young widows, what did they do? They strayed away from what they should have been seeking after, and they went after something else. Verses 14 and and 15. Look at what he says. Therefore I want younger widows to get married, to bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. That is what they turned away from, but instead what have they done? For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. Some have already turned away and followed Satan. So what is Paul telling Timothy to do? He's saying, hey, as the false teachers turned aside from the truth to fruitless discussions and following Satan, you, Timothy, you're to turn aside from anything related to false teaching. Get away from that, Timothy, and chase after instead sound teaching and be all about sound teaching, guarding the gospel, guarding sound teaching. 
And then he explains to us and to Timothy exactly what it is that he needs to be staying away from. Worldly and empty chatter. What is worldly chatter? That is pointless, worthless chatter. It's a, it's a conversation that's accessible to everyone and therefore has no real significance. Why? Because it's outside the realm of truth. It's just all conjecture. And so it's not based on really any known truth. Empty chatter, that's talk that has no value and lacks significant content. Just, just think of, of noise. It's like Charlie Brown when the, when the adults talk. That, that's, that's what this is, empty chatter. Opposing arguments. That th- these are contradictions and statements that are logically inconsistent. They don't make sense. And they, and they lead nowhere. But then probably the most significant depiction of, of what this is is what we see last. That what is all this comprised of? It's comprised of what is falsely called knowledge. A false form of knowledge that isn't knowledge at all. That which opposes that which is true knowledge. What I should have said, instead of just avoid false knowledge, I should have said avoid false truth claims, which is really what is going on. Because what they are doing is they are proposing that they are sharing truth, that this is indeed knowledge, and, and the place where you get knowledge is from us. Not outside of us. This is No, we, we hold the corner of the market when it comes to knowledge, so come to us, and then we will give it to you. That's what the false teachers are saying. No, stop listening to Paul. Stop listening to the apostles. No, just listen to me. And, and do we not see this happening in our own culture right now? This is what we see. We see false knowledge being presented to us as something that is for unmistakably arguing that, no, this is true knowledge. Where do I see this at? I I see this these days in Black Lives Matter, the, the critical race theory, social justice, what, what are they doing? They're, they're redefining justice on the one hand. Now, this is the only way justice can be played out. And if you tell me something else, you're wrong. You're being intolerant. And then on the other side, they're saying, oh, this is what racism is. And if you say anything else, well, then you're proving to me that you're a racist. And, and then what do they do? They, they actually look at these and they hold up these standards and really what it's getting at is it's, it's saying in, in, in so many ways that, that what it all boils down to is the color of your skin. And instead of being sin, having something that affects all of us universally, exactly the same way that comes from Adam, our federal head, they say, oh no, actually, there, there's something larger going on here in humanity, and it is the color of your skin. Is that true? Are we not all created in the image of God? Whether what other color you are, doesn't matter. You were created in God's image, for sure. But, but where does sin come from? Sin comes from the heart. Do you recognize that these kinds of, of thoughts are now creeping into the church? And there's pastors that are standing up and saying, 
well, 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 my congregation is predominantly white. We've always been predominantly white, and that is wrong. I'm not sure where the sin happened, but it happened sometimes, so I'm just going to confess to you. Okay, would I love to see more diversity in our church? You bet. But it doesn't mean that, that, that we're sinning because there isn't. The Lord just hasn't brought up that to our body yet in mass numbers. These, these same people would say, oh, I really know why you went to Papua New Guinea. It's because you had this idealism that you, and superiority complex, that they were actually down here and you were up here. And I'm like, no, I went because they need to hear the gospel. And because the gospel is the treasure. And that is what I'm sharing with them. And by all means, I'm going to go to them. And yes, I didn't look like them. But the message that I have to proclaim is what changes. It, it, it isn't this social justice movement that's going to make everything better. Black Lives Matter and what they're doing isn't going to make everything better. You know what is going to make everything better? Only one thing is Jesus Christ and his gospel. You see, all of this, they, they, they have, it has co gospel consequences. You want another example that I see creeping in? Science. Science. Why? Because everybody is saying right now, follow the science. Well, well which science are you following? Be because it, it seems that there's two different arguments being played out. Ones that would say, oh no, this is totally by science and others that are saying, also credible. Oh no, there, there, there isn't good science with this. So, so where do you follow? Who do you follow? Where do you go with this? And then you go back to the website and you look in that, that particular article or whatever you just saw, it's gone. Why? Because that particular article didn't agree with whatever their ideology is, which goes to, to Black Lives Matter, the social justice and CRT and all of this as well. If you don't believe what we believe, well, then we're just going to say you're wrong. In fact, we're going to wipe it so that you don't even get a voice. Is this biblical? No, Deuteronomy 17.6, God is so wise. They, they couldn't perform the death penalty on anyone unless you had more than two, you had to have at least two or three witnesses. Why? So that you can make an informed decision. To make sure that somebody wasn't shielding some truth from you and actually what they were peddling you was untruth, was false knowledge. Be careful. Where does this lead? Jason, Pastor Jason, why are you talking about this? Well, this leads to the point where some are now saying science is necessary in order to validate God's word. You know what that is? That's heresy. That is heresy. Oh no, Pastor Jason, we need the, the science in order to prove that the Bible is right. No, that's flipped wrong. The Bible proves that science is right. The Bible proves that archaeology is right. That's what we see happening over and over again. Oh, no, this city was over here. Well, no, actually, the Bible says this, and then 200 years later, they find a new site, and that actually is the real one. The authority of the Scripture is at stake, and these are things that we need to be mindful of. Going back even to churches and, and who should be elders and who shouldn't be, it becomes a, a matter of skin rather than 1 Timothy chapter 3 and the qualifications. Please don't get me wrong. There are elders in the church that, that was started by God's grace in Papua New Guinea and they are dark, much darker than I am. Praise the Lord. 
But there are qualified men. So whoever serves in the church, first and foremost, must live up to the qualifications of God's word. Amen? These are small little things that just start to inroad into Christ's church and change things. Let me say it like this. Follow Christ, not science. Follow Christ, not science, not the social justice movement, not the woke, not the whatever you want to fill in. (laughs) Follow Christ. That's where Paul is going. So first, be faithful with the gospel in such a way that we guard the gospel as a treasure. Second, we're to avoid false knowledge and the blending of wrong ideologies into the gospel. Keep the gospel pure. And third, know where false claims lead. Know where false claims lead because where they lead is a scary place. And it's a place where those that are actually proclaiming these things think that it's all going to work out okay for them in the end and what they're going to find out is anything but. Look at where these false claims lead, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. This word professed is interesting in the Greek. It means to claim to be well accomplished in something. It means to claim in such a way that you are now an expert in this particular thing. And that's what you can see wrapped up in so much of false teaching is they become prideful about what they're teaching. And their way becomes the only way, but it's not based upon Scripture. It's based upon their own understandings. But what is strikingly scary is what this word means to go astray. It means to miss the mark. It means to lose one's way. It means to abandon the truth. It means to fail. It means to deviate. It means to depart from the faith. That doesn't mean you lose your salvation. We are talking about apostates. Let me define an apostate for you. Those who knew the truth of the gospel, they knew the truth of the gospel in their head, so they'd heard it and they'd heard it, but they never truly believed. Do we see this in other places in Scripture? We see this all over in Scripture. That there are the professors, but they are not possessors. And some of them literally are professors. Some of them are pastors. Some of them are sitting in pews today. Turn with me to 1 John. Both of these passages are are scary. They're to wake us up. They're to remind us that we need to be guarding the gospel making sure that what we are holding on to is indeed the true gospel. 1 John chapter 2. Let me start at verse 15 since this, this just, man, this is a challenging passage. And the context adds so much to what we see in verse 19. Look at what John says which obviously some in this church had a hard time with this. 
Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God does what lives forever. Notice the contrast. One's passing away, the other one lives forever. And then look at what he says. Children, it is the last hour and just as you heard that, an- that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. So there are Antichrists and they are continuing to appear in what is implied what is understood they are leading some astray they are promoting this false knowledge and many are following this false knowledge believing it to be true knowledge to be the truth when it is not the case at all and then we see we see the result of these antichrists of this false teaching that those in the church do what they went out from us but they were not really of us for if they had been of us they would have remained with us but they went out so that it would be shown that they are all, that they all are not of us. He's speaking of true believers versus those that are apostates that were never truly saved. You want to hear something even more emphatic? Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. What is so scary to me about this passage in verses 21 to 23 is what these people are doing. They're doing miracles. They're doing everything that you and I would attribute to someone that follows Christ. Doesn't just follow Christ a little bit, but somebody that is sold out for Jesus because of the things they're doing. But they have missed it. Look at what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness careful be careful of what you are buying into as what is true and yet in all of this is is God's grace silent is what Paul's saying is is that all of these in Ephesus that have bought into the lie that have bought into this false knowledge that they somehow cannot be redeemed that they somehow are beyond the point of God's grace no that's, that's not at all what he is saying. We, we see this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 24 to 26. And this should fill us all with hope for those that we know that are walking a different path right now. That are, that are believing something that is False. And yet they're thinking that it is not false. They are thinking that they have found true knowledge. And yet they are lost, but not beyond God's grace. Even notice what the, 
what the context is for, for him writing this. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. So those who don't agree with him, those who don't agree with you, those who don't see things the way that you see them, how do you deal with them? You deal with them with gentleness, with grace, with love, with kindness, with patience. Why? For this reason, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, going against false knowledge, no, leading them to the knowledge of the truth that, that would then transform them and change them. And this, verse 26, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Are they out of the reach of God's grace? No. No one is. But God must grant them repentance that means the truth must be proclaimed to them. And they must understand that what they are believing in is a lie. So how do you guard the gospel? How do we today do that? That's what Paul tells Timothy to do. And, and let me say, okay, I'll, I'll give us two ways to guard the gospel. The first is this. If you haven't believed in the gospel, then you, then you haven't received the gospel. So there's no way you can guard it. The first then that you must do is you must believe the gospel. Where are you this morning? In your understanding of what Jesus did upon the cross. And who you are. That you are indeed like me, like all of us sitting here this morning or watching online. We are sinners. We are born into sin. And our tendency from the time that we can not even walk or talk, we are still in our mother's wombs, is to do sin. And we know from God's word that the punishment for sin, going all the way back to the garden when God told Adam in the garden, Hey, you can do anything here except for eat from that tree. When you do, you will surely die. What is the punishment for sin? Death. You will die for your sins. You will pay an eternity of torment for your sins. Unless you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you trust in Him, turning from your sins to Him. Have you? If you have, then, then that gospel that we've been talking about that is this treasure that you are to guard, then you've been given, you've received that gift of eternal life, just as Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, that, that we're saved not by our works that we could boast, but we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ, by His grace, not that any of us can boast. And if you do believe, then John five twenty four is true of you. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death and into life. That is first and foremost what you must consider in all of this. Don't worry about guarding the gospel until you know that you've received the gospel. Have you done that? Okay, then I'm assuming that we are going to guard it, but what we must do is proclaim the gospel. We need to share with others the gospel. 
That's why Paul says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. That is what we are to do. That is what we're supposed to be doing, even right here, right now, in the life that we live. Are you doing that? Are you proclaiming this thing that we call the gospel? Because you value it. Because you recognize it as a treasure. Let me give you a practical way that you can do that. You can come with us on Friday nights. The last Friday of each month, we are going to the mall. We are meeting at the fountain right across from the movie theater in Temecula. We meet at 6.30, we go till 8. I don't think that's when I got sick. I actually wasn't feeling well before then, but that didn't really help. You know, there's all sorts of excuses not to go and do that. Yes, I, I wanted to, to come up with an excuse, man. I, no, I've got all sorts. I'm really not feeling well. Can you hear my throat? It's scratchy. Or the other side is, oh, I'm, I'm fearful. I'm, I'm scared about this. Oh, well, that never happens to me. Are you kidding me? Every time I stand up here to preach, I'm praying to the Lord as I come up here. Okay, can you just calm my hand so I don't start doing this or, or that? And it's the same when, when I'm sharing the gospel with someone. I, I don't know too many guys who are evangelists that do it week after week that wouldn't say that they, too, are fearful. No, that's not an excuse. That actually makes you qualified. If you are, then come. Now, Pastor Shane's been teaching the, the high schoolers how to do this. So, so if, you, if you want some, some training, then let us know. Maybe we'll do something on a Saturday where we can all just practice with one another. But what is it all about? It's all about just sharing the love of Jesus with people. Do you know as we walked around the mall, what I saw again and again and again that just broke my heart was confusion. Again and again and again. You know what people said? They didn't even know they were confused. They're like, oh, I'm good. Oh, I don't just believe in Jesus. I believe in this, and I believe in this, and I believe in this. And, and it's like, man, you think you're at a buffet, and you can just choose whatever you want. No, that, that is not what God's Word says. That is damnable. You're not going to end up where you think you're going to end up. You're deceived. You've, you've bought into this false knowledge. God's Word would say otherwise. Jesus Christ himself declared otherwise. I am the way, the truth, the life. His claims are exclusive. There's no other way to the Father but through him. Amen? Okay, I had something cool to share with us at the end. Okay, here it is. Look at the way that he ends. You would think at this point that, okay, may maybe this is kind of discouraging. Guard, 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 guard. And recognize, too, that, that these guys are trying to destroy the gospel, Timothy. But look at how he ends. Grace be with you. Do you know that he starts like this? Chapter 1, verse 2. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. And now as he ends the time, he says, okay, yes, grace, remember, grace is with you. Remember that grace exists with you, that grace is present in you. Why would he tell this to Timothy? Because life is hard. 
Because church and what was happening in the church is hard. What he was telling Timothy to do was incredibly hard. And perhaps this morning your life is hard. And you might be thinking, well, that's great for Timothy, Pastor Jason. I sure wish this was for me. Well, let me let you in on a little Greek secret. It is. You see, our translations don't say it, but that last pronoun, you, is not in the singular. Paul is not speaking just to Timothy. He's really saying, grace be with you all. And this was meant to be proclaimed to all of the church in Ephesus. And so this morning, as, as I proclaim it to you, it is God reminding each of you, through the words of Paul, God's grace is with you. God's grace is with you. Yes, this grace of our God is with you this morning in whatever you are going through. And what I think is so cool about this is it is, it, is emphasizing this, this intimate and personal relationship that God and His grace affords us to have this relationship with Him. I would even define it or, or phrase it like this. God's grace could be understood as the power of God's presence at work in our lives. That's what God's grace is, but you know what hinders God's grace? Pride. If you're not pride, proud and arrogant and you are being humble, God's grace is there. And God's grace is there to give you the strength and the power to withstand all sorts of crazy stuff just like is happening in Ukraine today. Amen? This should be amazing encouragement to us all this morning. Of all the ways that Paul wants to wrap this up, he wants to put God's grace front and center in front of Timothy and in front of the whole church. Hey, don't forget about this. Don't forget about God's grace. It is amazing. It is what will sustain you, what will strengthen you, what will get you through. Okay, let me close our time. As Brad and Claire and Kevin come up. Gracious Heavenly Father, we stop and we, we thank you for your incredible word. For the foundation that your word is for us. We thank you that you have not been silent, but that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you for the closing words of Paul that remind us that we are to guard this gospel, that we are to be faithful, forever faithful, Lord. And the only way we can do that is through and by your grace, for your glory. Allow us to, to be faithful that we would remain faithful, that we would indeed guard the treasure of your gospel, that we would boldly proclaim it, that we would recognize when, when false knowledge is, is being fed to us as truth, and that we'd turn from it, and that we'd turn to your truth, and that you would continue to be glorified and honored through us as we seek to obey you in all things, to live for you, and to be lights for you. In Jesus' name, amen.